Hello, this is Stephen King. Well, sometimes that is better. Hi, Georgie. I'm your number one fan. Get busy living. Get busy dying. Here's Johnny. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Constant Reader Podcast. And firstly, sorry for the hiatus last month. Uh, with Christmas, everything gets a little busier. So I thought I'd give you all a month off from listening to me. I'm glad to say we're back now. And 2023 looks like a prime year for us. Because next month I'll be talking to Annie Wilkes. Not Annie Wilkes from Misery, but the author of one of my favourite books of last year, All the White Spaces. And she'll be coming on to discuss her next book, And Survivor Type, the infamous short story from King's Skeleton Crew. Another guest news, Lauren Jane Barnett's book now is finally out, Deathlines, and she came on a few months ago to discuss London horror and Crouch End. It was a great conversation, so please go back and listen to it if you haven't yet, and don't forget to like, rate, review, and subscribe. So now onto this month, and a Stephen King adaptation has gone down in history as one of the greatest modern films ever made. 1994's Shawshank Redemption, written and directed by Frank Darabont. It's a story of Andy Dufresne, a man wrongly accused and imprisoned of murder, and how he escapes prison with a little help from his friends. And I'm delighted to say that joining me to chew it over is James Michaels, an American writer specializing in crime fiction. He was born and raised in Michigan and is the author of the Ice series of novels. His new book, Life's Dark Corners, has just been released and contains five stories of crime and punishment, all with a twist. I had the pleasure of reading it recently and can recommend it to anybody. Hello, James. Hi, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. So uh, whereabouts are you speaking to us from? I'm from Michigan, Southern Michigan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It looks a, a little brighter and cheerful than the dreary old England behind me. <laughs> well, I'm, I've always wanted to go to England. You know, I'm uh, according to my ancestry, about eighty percent of me is from England and uh, Ireland, Scotland. So it's, you know, I'm definitely be excited to go there one day. Oh, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. We're, we're all big uh, fans of crime fiction over here. Whether it's uh... Arthur Conan Doyle, um, you know, Ian McEwan, any of those guys, uh, even Agatha Christie, I suppose. But no, you, you've come on today to talk firstly about a Shawshank Redemption, which I understand. Yeah. Um, and again, I always ask all my guests this, is why did you choose a Shawshank Redemption? I understand you have quite a, a personal connection with this uh, story. In a way, yes. Um, so I have a day job as a corrections officer. Um, which some would say is synonymous with prison guard. So I do work, in, you know, I'm, I'm in the prison. Um, it's always been a fascinating environment, really. And I always get a personal kick out of when I watch uh, prison movies. I like to kind of compare, you know, what I've seen to um, what's depicted in those movies. I mean, of course, uh, Shawshank Redemption is, you know, it's a fictional story and it takes place in it's supposed to take place in Maine, mm -hmm. spanning from the 1940s into the 1960s. So that's an era that I'm, I wasn't even, you know, I wasn't even living in at that time. So, um, but I do get a kick out of, uh, you know, just how they depict various characters in these prison shows um, or movies, you know, the, from the inmates to the staff, you know, I find it very interesting. Um, and just kind of, you know, the differences of how the environment is, the uh, security measures and whatnot, the interactions between inmates and staff, and then 
how it um, how it's compared to now in the real world. Now, I, I appreciate that, James. But uh, come on, I mean, uh, this is a this is a very brutal, very violent film. I mean, do you think it's uh, do you think this is an accurate depiction of uh, prison in the between in in that era? Because I mean, it's uh, it's very dark, isn't it? Um, very, very much so. So. Yeah, back then, I, I, was, I'm not going to uh, ask you if uh, if this is uh, if the, if any of that kind of rang a bell with you the the beatings and the violence and the embezzlement and the rapings and the murders, but uh, it's <laughs> you can keep that to yourself if you like. But it just seems like um, a, a, a true to life of what happens when a prison goes bad. Perhaps. I mean, I've heard of stories um, that people who have uh, served in the er in earlier decades in, in prison. I've heard the stories of. Um, you know that that there may that there have been uh, you know abuses of authority in the past, as we we'll, we like to call it. Um, and it, it is interesting because it's hard to speak on back then. I, I I would have to talk to somebody that has thirty years in who knew somebody when they were new that had thirty years in that could probably tell the uh, the more uh, uh, the stories back then. I guess. True. Um, you know, nowadays there's a lot more accountability um you know anybody that would be inclined to uh pursue that sort of uh, behavior with the inmates it would be very difficult to get away with that you know we live in the era of cameras um but that's a good thing for officers as well you know so it's harder for something to happen to them and for us to get away with it because you know Inmates, you know, they, they, they don't want to get caught, you know, beating on an officer because sure. that's another felony. And most, you know, 90 some percent of the inmate population is is going home eventually. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, but what I, what's interesting about that movie is people will take that movie and apply it to now, you know, like. The, the the most I'd say the most famous staff member below the warden would be the captain charging Reden uh, redemption Byron Hadley. Yes, he's the one that, that, that kills the yeah. in the beginning. Um, you know, a lot of people will take that character and say that's all corrections officers. I would have to disagree. Um, I actually wrote a um, a prison story. That's this one right here, actually, Icebox, the sequel to Ice Rising. It's a prison thriller and the most so the the staff members in this book are pretty much in the background they show up when a fight breaks out or when a guy has to go the whole um or you know a segregated housing unit uh however they choose to people choose to call it's called different places depending on which state you're in um but the most common featured staff member is this housing unit officer who he says to my protagonist, Ice, as soon as he comes in, listen, you know, I don't need any problems. You go ahead, do what, you, you know, just live your life, do your time. I'm going to pretty much do mine. You know, if you make me have to do my job, I will, which I think is the most common attitude among uh, corrections officers. You know, they're not looking for a whole bunch, you know, for any problems, but if it comes down to it, they will do what they have to do, which is the same attitude I take when I'm at um, my job. Oh, speaking of which, I, I do have to say this um, per uh, the policy. 
Um, I am employed with the MDOC, but whatever I may say on this video does not reflect the opinions of the MDOC in, in general. So I do have to state that. Everything that I may say that's an opinion is my own. That's uh, like I quite understand. Uh, it's talking a bit more about the idea of um, uh, prisons and prisoners. Uh, watching this film recently, after not watching it for a very long time, I'm I was trying to figure out if the film was like pro prison or anti prison. Whether it had like this idea of whether it was a, it was ever a good thing to. I mean, because the whole thing is about freedom, isn't it? About locking people up, and yes. of course, Andy Dufresne is innocent, and he is still brutalized by this system. So, I mean, what did you think about it in terms of um, an overall depiction of prison? Because, like you say, not all prison guards are uh, Hadley and not all wardens are the guy from the Shawshank Redemption. And I think if this film does have one problem, if I could critique it for one thing, it would be it doesn't show enough of the humanity of the other side. Because the prisoners, yeah. they, they start off being quite animalistic. They're all taking bets on who's going to crack first and they're all quite cold and they don't really trust anybody else and you never really get that with the guards there are a few kind of who are nice and kind of in the background but they never seem to get kind of the same freedom to breathe as characters perhaps that the prisoners do and i think that makes it seem very kind of anti-prison entirely is that the way you read it i would say it's definitely um it's definitely more you have more sympathy for the inmates than you do for um the staff but mm -hmm. you know and that's just a common uh that's a common trait among prison movies and um shows and whatnot orange is the new black would be another one where you know you follow the inmates and then pretty much all the officers are either incompetent or corrupt or um having you know personal issues that they that they need serious um help with mm. um so it, it is it is interesting but again that makes for great film you know because you know and i i have to admit this i mean my, my book focuses more on the inmate than it does on the staff because it's more interesting so True. and because your since your main characters are prisoners you want to be able to like them so you got to give them kind of so you got to kind of pick that side. So we'll kind of give you a side pick and, you know, people like Andy Dufresne, people like um, Morgan Freeman's character, uh, uh, Morgan Freeman's character, Red, uh, Red. Mm -hmm. people like um, the character of Brooks, the, uh, the inmate who was released after 50 years in prison and now has no idea how to cope. Um, what I do like about that movie is it, it does pretty well with portraying uh, the different types of, some of the different types of inmates say, that you would encounter in prison. Um, there is, uh, you know, Morgan Freeman character, uh, uh, Morgan, I'm sorry, Morgan Freeman's character, <laughs> Red, who is the, he's the, the man who's pretty much doing a life sentence. He comes up for parole every now and then, but he's not that, hopeful about it. and as you've seen in the movie he is denied parole a couple of times um but what i like about him is he's you know he's he's a good inmate i mm -hmm. mean he does have his he does have his little hustle that he does of 
bringing contraband into the prison and it's it's bad but it's you know what he brings in is not necessarily you know dangerous contraband still it's not something you're supposed to do of course but um you know that's what makes him liked by by people is you know he's not bringing in drugs and weapons for the inmates to hurt each other with um and he does his time very well you know comparatively speaking but and i've seen that in a lot of inmates who are who they do very well in the prison setting but when you talk to them you can tell that if they were to walk out the next day they would have a very difficult time adjusting um you know and then the brooks character in that in that movie um the uh the man who worked in the library for so long mm. you know he did you know he does very well but it's because he's been in prison so long that the very thought of getting out you know terrifies him especially when you have um especially when you've been down so long you those guys tend to outlive a lot of people that they grew up with their parents siblings friends um aunts uncles grandparents cousins uh, sometimes even children and so they really don't have anybody left actually what's interesting is uh in in my book um ice rising mm-hmm. i have a character like that his name's virgil um he is a he's doing prison he's in in prison for life um you know his son had uh, passed away which was an event that kind of ended up ended up with him going to prison um you know and as his time went by he just kind of lost everybody so eventually the prison just becomes this whole world um you know you have the other characters in Shawshank such as um I forget his name, but he's the character that's kind of uh, uh, he's 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 trying to, uh, for lack of you know, to keep it politically correct, take advantage. Of Andy, in being oh uh, bugs, yes, yes, Bugs, yes. yeah. And he's trying to uh, you know, Andy has to kind of fight you know, fight him off, and eventually he kind of proves that he's valuable to the officers that they. Um, that they eventually they kind of handled the bogs problem for them there are those guys that are in prison i would say from what i've seen they're rare you know there's not like a thousand of them just lurking around but if you were to be incarcerated it would behoove you to make sure that if you have to borrow something from somebody to kind of reach an agreement with them beforehand. Oh, you know, like, okay, I'm going to borrow this book from you. I'm going to give it back. Are we good with that? If we're not, that's fine. Um, you know, so, but has it happened? Yes. Um, but I would say that, that instance in- inmates physically trying to take advantage of other inmates by force is not as common as people would think but it makes for great drama right makes for great drama of course <laughs> that's, that's um, a and, very, and, and then you just have you know the normal inmates um uh there's the uh the, the i forget his name but he's been in quite a few movies especially back then um he was kind of like the hang around with with red he uh 
enjoys oh, the guy with music. the uh, the uh, uh, Haywood, played by uh, William Sadler, I think. He's got the stutter. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. him. Um, you know, I I like him. He's more the uh, you know just kind of like, like more common inmate. You know, he, he's a little funny. He's not great. Um, so it's nice to kind of have that average character it who makes for some good comic relief. Um, and then you have. I almost forgot him, but he's a very great character. Is again, it's been a while since I've seen this movie, but um, the new kid that comes in during the time during Tommy. like ten years into mm. Andy's incarceration, he's the young kid who's trying to find his way. Um, what I like about him is that he personifies the guy that he's really going down a bad road. He's been down there a little bit, but he's got the potential to be better than what he is. And in a way that kind of makes him um, my favorite character among the inmates is the kid that's young enough. Um, he's got enough, you know, he's got enough life left, enough youth, enough potential to get out of prison and really make something of himself. And that's what I like. Um, I love stories about uh, people that have a lot of potential that, Maybe they don't use it or they misuse it, mm. which is um, actually the basis for my my uh, ice series, Ice Rising, Ice Box, and Ice Rain is coming out now. Is it tells the tale of people that have had potential, misused it, went to prison, and managed to turn their life around. Mm. You know, because I've seen that. I've seen in people that were actually very bright individuals that just used their talents for the wrong purposes and had to pay the price thankfully a lot of them get a chance they get out and a lot of men up doing very well for themselves yeah it must be quite fascinating right to write something in prison because you can tell those stories and you can tell different stories within this very strict confine of um prison because it's like it's like it's like a stage isn't it so you have everybody doing yes. their own thing and everybody's abiding by the same rules everybody wears a uniform whether you're a, an inmate or an officer so I, I, it, it must be like a, the dramatic potential of these things is very interesting. And I was trying to think of um, a text or a film or a book with uh, a likable prison warden, which is the, the warden or the guards, the, um, the heroes, if you will. And the only one I could think of was uh, The Green Mile by Stephen King again. Yes. And I always like to think that The Green Mile is a way of redressing the Shawshank Redemption because you see everything yes. there from the guards. point. Of. Have, you, have you seen or read The Green Mile? Yes, um, I've I've seen The Green Mile quite a few times. It's one of my favorite movies. Do you prefer that to Shawshank? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> actually, no. I can imagine. Actually, no, I would say I like both of them because if you watch them together, it gives you a more universal perspective to all the different um, to the inmates versus the staff. Mm. So, um, going back to the film. Uh, this is one of the most at the time when it was released it wasn't particularly popular but became a big hit through vhs and dvd word of mouth church groups used to show it a lot because uh for many people this is a christ allegory because it is a good film a great film but a lot of really good set pieces within the film any particular sequence in the film that really stuck in your memory that would be the brooks character when he gets out and he has yes. the life outside, yeah, it's tragic. Yeah. yeah, I can only imagine 
Um, it's that sort of mindset that he has. Um, the thing about prison is that it's it's scarily very ad adaptable. Um, you know, even among staff, you know, especially those of us that have been here, that been there for quite some time, um, it does have an effect on you. Mm. That you know, when you're in there, you do have you do develop a different sort of persona, and it's different for everybody. And then when you get out, you kind of have to take that, you know, to switch personas. Um, for some people, inmates and staff, it's very hard to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, spending so much significant time in there. I've seen it happen, um, you know, among, among inmates and staff. So, you know, that's why I really appreciate, as much as I do like my job, I do appreciate my time outside of there so i can sure. still you know kind of still be a, a normal person um i wouldn't call myself a normal person but um i work with some normal people and uh you know just watching the brooks character how he just can't even function outside of prison is to me it's terrifying you know, yeah, that's that a shocking has... sequence when he goes outside and there are cars and there's movement and noise. Yeah. It's contrasted so well with a prison, which is all yes. routine. It's a monochrome almost, but the outside world is fast and loud and terrifying, like you're saying. And I've spoken to a few people that spent um significant amount of time in prison. Um, even in uh you know, in in uh I I'm sorry, I depict this in my upcoming book ice rain which is you know my character ice is out of prison he's having some difficulties even though he didn't spend a, a huge amount of time in prison it still affected him in different mm. ways um just being exposed to that sort of atmosphere absolutely and it's harder for andy to frame because of course he's not a criminal yet he's asked right. to sublimate himself this criminal world um why do you think it's kind of built up this reputation why do you think it still sticks around why 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 is this of all the stephen king adaptations so universally loved by people who wouldn't normally consider themselves to be stephen king fans i would say um probably the success of the green mile contributed to that um because when green mile came out if i if i remember correctly it was a smash hit um and then of course Stephen King's name is is uh connected to it, of course because he wrote the book originally so in my theory it was that that kind of spearheaded um getting Shawshank Redemption more exposure people loved Green Mile said Stephen King wrote it okay great oh well if you like this one here's another prison movie that uh <laughs> you know Stephen King created the initial adaptation for and people probably said oh of course great I'll watch that and then um you know fans like myself that just love to talk about it uh you know that are fascinated with the um prison life i guess especially mm -hmm. in i don't know how it is over in, in europe but in america you know we have dozens of true crime um documentaries and shows and a lot of it deals with prison life so sure. 
some of us grew up watching all these different prison documentaries, you know, about the gangs, the rough areas, the riots. Um, so a lot of that came out in the nineties and the mid two thousands. So that's probably what really also helped get that movie more exposure. Yeah. It's interesting. I think the English have a very different view. The most popular English prison film or TV was, uh, it was called porridge. It was a sitcom. I ran for a very long time in the 1970s <laughs> and was it was like the lighter the funny things that happen in prison perhaps is the best way of dealing with it and the idea although i suppose films like have you seen scum i haven't seen that but it's about the borstal homes which are kind of young offender homes i suppose you call them there and again it's the idea that if you set something in a prison you could write anything a comedy a thriller a horror it is kind of that grand scope of human emotions isn't it which is also what i found in uh, five dark corners your most recent release uh just to set it up a bit for the listeners it's five stories each dealing with an aspect of um crime and punishment i would say uh just for a quick taster there's a, a photographer who's an amnesiac who's been involved in a in a in a horrible accident who gradually regains his memories at the cost of um perhaps something else uh, a young man obsessed with video games who um, takes it to the next level, shall we say. Uh, a guy coming back from medical school wanting to stay straight who isn't given the choice. There's a, a con who thinks he's got uh, a whole new scam worked out, but with uh, terrible consequences. And the story of a widow who has to keep uh, her family in check using violent measures. Now, I've kind of described these stories because what I found really interesting about your work is the range of characters you have. Five very different protagonists for each story. Five very different stories, often with very different styles as well. Uh, so going back to what we were saying earlier, is this like because you've witnessed so many different archetypes of human life in prison that you have this kind of range of uh, characters in your back pocket? Um, well, first off, I need you to do uh, the synopsis for all my books because that was amazing. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so that book, I just wanted to, what, what I like about my stories, what I take pride in is making them different from the rest of, of their genres, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for instance, you would have like, you know, Icebox here. You have the you know the stories about the inmates overcoming officer aggression. This one is more focused on. I wanted to take a different approach um, and focus this on Ice's relationships with his family on the outside while he's in prison, the new relationships he has while he's in prison, um, and just kind of navigating through these very uh, treacherous waters. So it's more about relationships. What I want to do with Life Star Corners is, you know, I, I just know that my, I, I tend to write from the gangster's perspective. Ice mm -hmm. Rising, Ice Box, you know, my main character, Ice, is a gangster. Battle of Johnny Carlo up here. A um, little bit different because Johnny Carlo is a gangster, but the other character uh, in the silhouette, Leisha Abraham, is not. But I wanted to bring some more civilian life into the mix and kind of see how their lives can be affected by um 
by being so close to the criminal world, whether it's by choice or not. Um, mm. You know, and of course, a couple of the protagonists in there are criminals or aspiring criminals. So I kind of left that in there as well for to give the sense of um, to, to maintain the, the, the noir sort of atmosphere that my readers enjoy in my books. Um, I want I, I wanted different perspectives. I wanted, you know, you know, just different people to, to mix it up. So there's something a little bit, there's a little bit of something for everybody in my, in my short stories. It certainly has, sense. no, absolutely. It certainly has variety. That's, that's what I, I liked about it. And yeah, going back to what you said, the, the noir influence is very heavy in, uh, in a lot of the third story about the photographer who loses his memory and then gets it back. That was very, it's, it's a wonderful noir setup, isn't it? Because yeah. he starts with a completely blank slate. He doesn't know, you know, who he is, where, where he is or what's happening. And then in a typically noir fashion, the more he learns about himself, the less he is, likes it and the more he's drawn into this, this world of crime. I mean, were the classic film noirs like an influence on your writing or any particular writer who, who you kind of read compulsively, who, who you, you really respond to? Because I saw um, a bit of uh, Dennis Lehane. I saw a bit of maybe Richard Lehman, that kind of thing in there. Um, so I, I do enjoy uh, Mario Puzo's work. Sure. Um, so th that's what influenced a lot of my writing, especially in regards to um, the mafia and certain characters in there. Uh, I'm sorry, in, uh, in Bal Johnny Carlo, the way that some of them may talk. You can tell they're heavily influenced by certain of his characters. Um, I like James Patterson, mm. especially his work from uh, the the seventies and eighties and the nineties, with a lot of you know twists and turns, um, unpredictability, which is something that I really like in my books. Is that you know just unpredictability? You really don't know what's going to happen next. Um, I'd say that they that they were the two main influences um i like jonathan mayberry mm -hmm. um he's more of he's more of a thriller especially like, like sort of military thriller in a way sort of supernatural but what i like about him and james patterson does this too with his alex cross series is the strength of the of the villains True. in there and some of my main characters are villains so i you know, I, I like to have that, that, you know, it's half of the hero's, half of the hero's strength is himself and the other half is the enemies that he fights. You know, people love Batman. They also love the Joker. And without Joker, Batman might not be that interesting. You know, yeah, if that a, makes sense. Bit, oh, absolutely. It's, it's a bit of an old cliche, but I have to ask, I mean, do you prefer to write a villainous character? Is that more fun for you? Because you can go without limits. You can, they, they never kind of step back and say, what am I doing? Is it because it is, it has that kind of unbounded possibility for malfeasance, I suppose. I think so. It, it allows you to, um, you know, literally break the rules more, um, less restriction to, develop the character while you know the hero you know like if you have a detective for example detectives fighting this villain who 
you know, and then he captures him and he hates the villain, but he can't, he can't just, you know, execute him because he's supposed to be the good guy. It's the law. He's a professional. Whereas in a criminal, you know, if I write a criminal, you know, I can say yeah, he could let him go and have that sense of mercy about him, or he can do the deed. And then now I can take him into a further depth, which is what I've done with um, Ice Rising. One of my main influences with Ice Rising was Breaking Bad. Mm. Have you ever seen that show? Of course. Um, one of the similarities with my character Ice is that he's guided, he's a very intelligent individual, guided by um, a motive that there's a part of us that can understand why he's doing what he's doing. But as time progresses, he degrades into this, you know, this this more monstrous character. And then, but you watch him and then at the, I'm, I'm probably, it's probably gonna be a spoiler, but at, at the end of the show or at the end of the series, he kind of, you know, he does gain some redemption at the end of, at the end of the show um so yeah i do like to write the villains one of my favorite characters was that i ever wrote was um in this book about johnny carlo um is actually johnny carlo's best friend vincent who i guess you know with the the dungeons and dragons chart of morality he would be the chaotic evil <laughs> um just you know no boundaries He's, he has a few at first that just eventually cuts off and just goes as far as he needs to so it is it is fascinating to dive into that into that you know dark area sure and of course you can always pull yourself back afterwards you can imagine the of terrible course. things you could do and then yeah not do them i like that so a couple of questions before we wrap up the same questions i ask everybody firstly what are you reading at the moment um currently i'm reading strategy a history by lawrence friedman enjoying it um, it's very, it's very extensive. Um, you know, it's one of those books where you really have to sit in a quiet room and read in order to uh, get all the input from it. Um, just because there's a lot of history behind it. it covers right now, it's covering all these different strategies among the wars throughout mm. time. Um, so I found it kind of fascinating. So I picked it up and I'm reading it now. It's very good. I got to say this, uh, a lot of factual. Um, it starts off very well, kind of pulls you in. And yeah, so I'm enjoying that right now. Sounds like good research material anyway. Definitely, definitely. And the second question I ask everybody is, please recommend a book to me and the listeners that uh, you think might have flown under people's radar that doesn't get enough love. That's kind of a, an underrated book. Oh, that's a, I love that question. Um, there's so many, I would have to say, I'm gonna go with this one. Uh, Mario Puzo's Godfather. Is that underrated? It's not read <laughs> as much as it used to be. That's um, true. You know, no, fair enough. The movies really overshadowed it. Uh, <laughs> Good point. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is it about um, that book that, uh, like draws you back? Um, the drama, how it just, you know, I'm, I'm, I've always, I've always loved The Godfather. Um, I think it's one of those books that it probably hasn't gotten the sort of attention now that 
did back then, which is just, it kind of gives you that um, romantic kind of sense of honor that there are, there are some people in the underworld that do have a code of honor. They're not all the devil. True. So, you know, and of course it's, well, I, my favorite literary and cinematic character to this day is Michael Corleone from The Godfather. Um, it's a fantastic, twice told in the book, it's a twice underdog story. One is, of course, Vito Corleone. It depicts his rise to power. And then his son, Michael Corleone, who I identify with because everybody, you know, I'm not a crime boss, but everybody looks at him <laughs> as this, you know, he's kind of a civilian he's not a big deal he's very underestimated and then at the end of the book everybody is kissing his hand bowing their head and calling him the don and the godfather Mm -hmm. um yeah i mean it was it was a big book back in this time but i think for people that love an underdog story um with some mafia atmosphere to it it's definitely a book that kind of needs to stay on the shelves and i think it's one that's kind of just kind of gone by the wayside in this new generation right on so uh when is ice rain coming out i have no idea i okay. uh all all of my books i write um off the top of my head i it, i have no plan behind my writing i just kind of go with the flow Okay, but that will be the next release we see from you. Have you got something else in the works? It will be. It is yes. It will be the sequel to Icebox, um, the third in the series, and it's going to be a lot more epic than the first two are amazing, and this one's just going to take it to a whole nother level. Absolutely, I'd like to remind everybody out there the the Ballad of Johnny Carlo, um, Icebox, and Ice Rising, and of course, the uh, the most recent book, the uh, Livestock Corners, is available from Amazon and wherever you have to get books from. I'm going to sign off now. Thank you so much, James Michaels, for joining me. And we'll see you again next month with Ali Wilkes discussing survivor type. So thank you very much and goodbye. Thank you very much for joining us on another edition of the Constant Reader Podcast with me, your host, Richard Shepard. I'd like to give a special thanks to Dr. Linda Shepard for research and Stephen Leslie Parks for technical production. You can write to us at the Constant Reader Podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at the Constant Reader Podcast. And please feel free to rate, review, like, and subscribe to this podcast on wherever you can find podcasts. And we'll see you again next month for another deep dive into the work of Stephen King. Thank you very much. <laughs>